You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning, Foothills Church, and let me say it's an honor to be here, but also an honor to serve you at Southeastern Seminary uh, in Wake Forest, North Carolina, where there are more than 4,800 students in a college and a seminary. But not only are there students there, literally there are students scattered all around the world and across uh, North America. So as Trent said earlier, your interest in theological education or just studying the Bible, uh, we're here to serve you and be delighted to help you uh, in any way that we can. Well, your pastor asked me this morning to speak on one of my favorite subjects, and that is the issue of family. And so I want you to take your Bible this morning and join me in the book of Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to give our attention to verses 1 through 4, and the subject this morning is simply this, how to love your children and let them know it. How to love your children and let them know it. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 1 and studying through verse 4. This is the word of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Several years ago, I came across a letter in Seventeen Magazine that was written by a heartbroken teenage girl as she tried to express publicly Uh, the pain that she felt when it came to her relationship with her father. Now, think about it. She took the time to write this letter and then send it into a magazine where it would go across the nation. And these are the words that you find in this letter. Have you ever heard of a father who won't talk to his daughter? My father doesn't seem to know I'm alive. In my whole life, he has never said he loves me or given me a goodnight kiss unless I asked him to. I think the reason he ignores me is because I'm so boring. I look at my friends and I think if I were funny like Jill or a super brain like Sandy or even outrageous and punk like Tasha, he would put down his paper and be fascinated. I play the recorder and for the past three years, I've been a soloist in the fall concert at school. Mom comes to the concerts, but dad, he never does. This year I'm a senior and so it's his last chance. i give anything to look out into the audience and see him there, but who am I kidding? It will never happen. Now moms and dads, grandparents, those of you who someday are going to be moms and dads, I have a very basic thesis that will uh, undergird what I'm gonna say this morning and it is simply this. I am convinced that almost all parents do love their children. But that's not really the issue. The issue is, do your children feel loved? Yes, almost all parents do love their children. But do your children, by the things you say and the things you do, do they feel and know that they are loved by their mom and by their dad? Now, what I want to do this morning is allow God's Word to provide the answers to that. And so we're going to, first of all, walk through these four verses and lay a very simple, biblical, and theological foundation. 
And then after that, I'm going to kind of do a, a biblical theology, if you like, and draw from a number of places in the Bible that helps us think very practically about how is it day in and day out we can engage our children in such a way that they will feel and know that they are loved by their mom and by their dad. Paul begins, first of all, in the first three verses by telling us we love our children by educating them. We love our children by educating them. And he begins in verse 1 by telling us this is the proper thing to do. Look at it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That word obey is an imperative. It's a word of command. So God does not ask or even suggest, but God commands children, you obey mom and dad. It's also in the present tense, which means this is to be the, the pattern or the, or the habit of a child's life. Now, we want to be fair here. Uh, children will not obey perfectly. After all, they're little sinners, just like you and I are big sinners, all right? But here's the deal, mom and dad. From the time our children are small, we should be imparting to them the expectation of their obedience. Yes, they will disobey, but that will be the exception not the norm. And so Paul says, God calls you to obey continually your parents. But then Paul qualifies that statement in two ways. He says, number one, it's in the Lord. And number two, this is right. I believe that phrase, in the Lord, means unto the Lord. In other words, parents, teach your children that ultimately their obedience or disobedience is not against you. It's not against your mate. It's before the Lord. And when they are obeying you, they're obeying Jesus. Uh, as we raised our four sons, uh, my wife Charlotte in particular would always talk about the Aiken family as a family of seven. Uh, there was mom and dad, there were the four boys, and there was Jesus. And Jesus was just always talked about in a regular, normal way as being a part of our family because he is. And we tried to help them always understand that how they related to us ultimately was how they related to Jesus. And so teach them that it is in the Lord. And then secondly, teach them that this is right. This is the way God planned it. This is the way God ordained the structure of a family. But you know what, parents? I think if we're going to really serve our children and love them well, we will not only tell them what to do, we will also help them understand the whys of life. Why should I live in this kind of a way and, and not walk down this different kind of path? And so Paul goes back to the Ten Commandments. They're found both in Exodus chapter 20, again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And Paul says, look, there is a promise that God makes to children who both obey mom and dad. And now he adds the idea of honoring mom and dad. Look at verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That word honor is another imperative word of command. It's also in the present tense. So Paul says, children, continually obey mom and dad. Continually honor mom and dad. And as a general covenant of life, I make a promise to you, number one, a better life, that it may go well with you. And number two, a longer life that you may live long in the land. Now, it's possible this morning, especially in a crowd this size, that you are here and you hear me read that and you say, but wait, Danny, hold on, time out. 
That's fine. Those verses are wonderful. If you grew up in a good home, but if you knew the hell on earth I grew up in, if you knew the dysfunctional family life that I grew up in, if you knew what my dad or mom did, you would have to recognize these verses are for good homes. These verses are not for families like mine. In fact, some of you could maybe even draw the conclusion I don't understand because I was blessed to to be in a good home, and I was. I had a good dad and a, and a good mom. I have no complaints at all about how my mom and dad took care of me as I was growing up there uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. But folks, God in his providence gave me a wife who had exactly the opposite experience of me. You see, my wife Charlotte was born into the home of alcoholic parents. And when she was about seven years old, they got a divorce. And after bouncing around from one home and then another, and then another, and then another. Finally, at the age of nine, Charlotte, uh, her sister, and her brother were all three taken, and they were placed in the Georgia Baptist Children's Home in Palmetto, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta near Noonan. And she would live there until she was 18 years old. Uh, during those years, she never saw her mother. She did not see her mother again until she was about 17, and we started dating. In fact, uh, we had been married for a long time, about 25 years before she ever told me this. We were driving one day, I remember very clearly, I was at Southern Seminary when, when your pastor was there, and I, we were coming down to Nashville for something. And uh, as we were driving down the road, I remember we got on the conversation of the last time she saw her mother before she went to the children's home. And I said, well, honey, what happened? And she said, well, we were at my daddy's house, and uh, we were waiting for them to come and get us, and Mama came over. And I don't know why, but she was really angry and mad, and I was sitting out on the front porch on a bench. And Mama walked out, looked at me, reared back, and slapped me in the face, knocked me out into the front yard, bloodied my mouth, looked at me and said, all of this is your fault, you little blank, turned around, walked back into the house, and she would not see her mother again until she was 17 years old. Her daddy came to see her a couple of times in the first months that she was there, and then she would not see her daddy again until after we were married. In fact, uh, I remember again talking with her one day and uh, said, honey, when you were there at the children's home, did you ever contact uh, your dad and, and ask him to come and see you? And she said, well, I did. I'd call them a lot of times when we were going to have parents' weekend. And I, I would call and I'd say, Daddy, this weekend, parents are coming to see the kids. And, Daddy, would you come and see me? And she said, you know, he always said the same thing every time. Yeah, babe, I'll come and see you. And so on Saturday morning, my wife would put on her nicest dress, and she would go out and sit on the front porch of her cottage, and she would wait two and three and sometimes four hours for a daddy who never even showed up. When we got married, I was standing right beside her in my mom and dad's home as she called her daddy on the telephone. Daddy, I'm getting married, and I want you to give me away. Got quiet on her end, and tears began to stream down her face, and she said, well, Daddy, I know you're shy, and so if you don't want to give me away, that's, that, that's okay. I, I just want you to come to my wedding and even though he only lived about 10 miles away, he didn't come. I remember the first time I ever met her father. We were back in Atlanta, Georgia for Christmas. 
Charlotte had reestablished a relationship with her mother, and so we went over for Christmas dinner, and her father came. And after we had dinner that evening, we took him back to the Veterans Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. He was again going through a treatment for his alcoholism. And I have to confess to you all this morning, I didn't act as I should have. I, I was angry with him for the way that he had treated my wife, his daughter. And so as he got out of our van and was walking back into the hospital, very insensitive, I looked at Charlotte and I said, your dad is just pretty sorry. He's not worth much. And she looked at me and she did not get angry, though she would have had every right. But again, here come the tears. And she said, well, I guess he is, but he is still my daddy, and I will always love him. Now, folks, we've been married come May 42 years. I've known her for about 45. In all those years that I have known my wife, I've never heard her even one time be ugly or unkind either about her dad or her mom. We hope her dad's in heaven. We don't know. We, we don't. But we know her mother will be there because one week before her mother died, because of the tears and the prayers and the heart of a daughter, one of my dearest friends went to downtown Atlanta, Georgia, up into the ICU unit of Grady Hospital, shared the gospel with Charlotte's mom on her deathbed. She prayed to receive the Lord, and one week later, she was dead. And I am absolutely convinced that when we get to heaven, there'll be a lady there named Dee Ramsey, and she will be there because she had a daughter who never stopped loving her, never stopped honoring her, always to the best of her ability, she treated her dad and her mom as God told her to. And folks, let me say to you this morning, my wife is a wonderful lady. She's a great wife. She raised four godly sons. She's got 13 grandkids that adore her. Everybody that knows her loves her. And even though she was born into hell on earth, she obeyed God's word and God kept his word in her life. And so the Bible teaches us that we love our children well by educating them about God's plan. But then secondly, the Bible also says we love our children by encouraging them. Look at verse 4. Fathers, it's a reminder, men, we have that leadership assignment in the home. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, Paul begins on a negative idea, but then moves to a positive one. He begins by telling us, number one, we should avoid making our children angry. Fathers, don't provoke. Don't agitate. Don't provide for them a, an unsettled kind of situation where they never know what you're going to say or what you're going to do. No, no, no. Don't provoke them toward anger and wrath, but be positive in giving them advice. Bring them up or nourish them up. In the discipline, number one, and the instruction, the teaching, the training of the Lord. Now, again, if you're a parent, you may hear me read that and you say, wait, Danny, time out again, time out. Kids don't listen to mom and dad. All the experts have uh, told us that they are far more influenced by peer pressure than they are parental guidance and instruction. And I don't want to be uh, unfair, nor do I want to be uh, dishonest. Granted, peer pressure is a tremendous force in all of our lives. But let me tell you something. It is nothing like the influence of a dad and a mom. Because when we talk to children and they're gut level honest, they will tell you, I, it matters to me what my mom and dad think. Uh, it matters to me what my mom and dad say. 
And yes, I pay a whole lot of attention to what my parents do. It's interesting. I've watched a number of surveys since the late 1990s, even till recent days, and nothing has changed. When you ask children, who is your number one hero? Over and over and over, they will say, my number one hero is my dad and my mom. You mean your hero is not a movie star? Nope. Your hero's not a rock star? Nope. Your hero's not an athlete? Nope. Your hero's not a politician? Are you kidding me? Now, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. If you're in politics and you love Jesus, praise God. We need more of you. But no, 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 and no. My hero is my dad and my mom. They asked them this this interesting question. You are stranded on a desert island. And you can have only one thing. What one thing would you want? Well, here's what teenagers said. 10% said a television set. Okay, now I'm not going to deal with that because what you do with a television set on a stranded desert island, I don't know, but we'll just leave that alone, all right. 15% said books, okay. 21% said a computer, all right. 24% said, I'd like some music. Okay, but the number one answer, overwhelming. I'm stranded on a desert island. I get one thing. Hey, I want my dad and I want my mom. You see, they do care what you think. They do listen to what you say. And they pay a lot of attention to what we do. So for the remainder of my time, I'm gonna be very, very practical. In fact, you've got a little thing there in your notes where you can take some notes. I'm going to just walk you through very quickly, just some very basic, simple, common sense, but I think biblically grounded ideas that will help us get down the road in a more healthy way of loving our children well. So I'll speak quickly. You write in a hurry. So here we go. Number one, you love your kids well by getting down on their level and entering in to their world by getting down on their level and entering in to their world. I call this incarnational parenting. You say, why? Well, how do we know this morning that God loves us? I'll tell you, the incarnation. He got down on our level and he entered into our world in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does this mean? It means you step back and you ask, how does my five-year-old or my 10-year-old or my 15 or 18-year-old, how do they look at life? Given their age, given their sex, given their personality, given their interests, given their friends, and you become, listen to me, a student of your children, and you enter in to their world. Now, I'll be the first to admit, saying this is a whole lot easier than doing it. I heard the story of a little boy. His turtle died, broke his heart, cried all day. Dad came home from work. Mom said, honey... He's in the backyard, turtle died, he won't come in the house, I, I don't know what to do, it's, you got to do something, go back there and see what you can do. So daddy goes back and sure enough, the turtle's not moving, the little boy's crying and so daddy begins to think and he says, look son, I, I'm so sorry your turtle died, but I'll tell you what, we, we, we can have a turtle funeral and celebrate your turtle going to turtle heaven. And I tell you what I'll do, I will get a shoe box and we will put the turtle in that box. I will dig a hole back here in our backyard and we will bury him and your turtle will always be buried right here in our backyard. And since we're gonna have a little funeral service, I'll preach a little little message for your turtle's funeral and uh, 
you can invite all of your friends over to the house for the turtle's funeral. And since we're celebrating the turtle going to turtle heaven, I think we ought to have a party. And I'll get mama to make a cake and I'll make some homemade ice cream and we'll just have a little party to celebrate your turtle's funeral. And then after that, since we're celebrating, uh, we'll go down to the park, we'll take our baseball and our bat and our glove and we'll go down there and we'll play ball and we'll ride the rides. And son, what do you think if we do all of that to celebrate your turtle's funeral? Well, the little boy's still crying, but he looks up at his daddy and he says, oh, we, can, we can have a party. Oh, we can have a party? Then I can invite all my, you invite every friend you got. And mama, mama will make a cake, I'll make ice cream, we'll do all this to celebrate your turtle's funeral. What do you think? The tears stopped. And even a little smile came across his face. And he said, well, Daddy, that'll be okay. And boy, Daddy felt great. He had saved the day. Took his son by the hand. They began to walk back to the house. And can you believe it? At exactly that moment, out of that shell, boom, comes that turtle's head. And he begins to wisely look around and check everything out and and the dad saw it and the dad said well look son look you turtle he's not dead after all the little boy he began to scream and cry again kill him daddy kill him (laughs) I want to have that party now that may not make sense to a 63 year old but that makes all the sense in the world to a five-year-old little boy And so it may not be easy, but if you're going to love them well, you're going to get down on their level and enter in to their world. Number two, you love your children by just loving your mate, by just loving your mate. In fact, I can say it very simply, great partners almost always make great parents. Why? Because the number one need, all the experts will tell you this, the number one need in the life of a child related to love is security. And nothing brings security in the life of a child like knowing my dad loves my mom, my mom loves my dad, and they're always going to be here for me. And so if you'll just love well your mate, you will give your children about 95% of all that they need. Number three, you love your children by giving them discipline. Giving them discipline. After all, they do come into the world screaming, where are the boundaries? What's right? What's wrong? Now, let me be very fair here. I don't claim to be an expert here. Charlotte and I flew by the seat of our pants for 20 years with each of our four sons, did the best we could along the way. We did find some things in the Bible that were certainly helpful to us and then some common sense things that we heard along the way. And so I'll just throw a few things out for you just to think about when it comes to this area of discipline and then just do the very best you can. I do think this to begin with, number one, Give your children a big playing field and not a little box. A big playing field and not a little box. You say, why? Well, two reasons. Number one, if you say to your children, you must live in the little box all the time, they won't. They can't. You say, well, why not? Because they're kids. Good night. And God did not design children, little kids, especially this much I do know. God did not design little boys to live in a little box. That much I have empirical data to back that up, all right? So God does not design them that way. And so if you've got a little box, they can't stay in there. Then secondly, and this is where so many parents mess up, you won't be consistent in your discipline. 
You won't be consistent in your discipline. And here's the deal, mom and dad. Now listen to me. Wherever you deem that the lines need to be drawn, you need to be rigorously consistent in your discipline. Rigorously consistent in your discipline. So you need to draw the lines where they really need to be drawn, all right? I also think this, and I think the teenagers will like, at least some of them will like this. I think if God gives you what I call low-maintenance children that are trustworthy and faithful and dependable, I think you ought to let that playing field get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and pretty much just let them kind of do whatever they want to do. All the teenagers are saying, amen, I like that. I'm sure you do, but I'm not finished. <laughs> On the other hand, if you have been given what I would call a high-maintenance teenager who isn't faithful, who isn't trustworthy, who doesn't make good decisions, then the playing field gets, yes, smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And you tell them, if I have to, I will chain your tail to your bed till the day you die in Jesus' name. <laughs> and one day they'll find your skeleton here, okay? Just understand that. Because I love you too much to let you make a fool of yourself, all right? So you adjust the way you discipline them depending upon their faithfulness, their maturity, their trustworthiness, all right? I also believe this. I think we discipline our children all the days they're under our watch care. But I think we adjust the way we discipline as they grow older. All the days they're under our watch care, but we adjust the way we discipline as they grow older. And there's a verse of Scripture that I think may lean in this particular direction. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 15 says. You can look it up later. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and the rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself will bring shame to his mother. Now I'm going to add a Danny Aiken commentary. The rod when they're young, the rebuke, and I would add the restriction as they grow older will give them wisdom. But a child left to himself will bring shame to his mother. You say, Danny, this is the year 2020. Are you telling me that you still believe in this day and age when we are far more knowledgeable, sophisticated, and everything else, you're still telling me that you think it's all right under control and in moderation to physically spank children. I don't only think it's okay. I think sometimes it's absolutely necessary. That's just what I believe based upon the Word of God. Now, here's what I think. I went to school to get a PhD. Now, that doesn't mean I'm smart because I'm not smart. It does mean I have endurance. And so I just plugged away, plugged away, plugged away for like a long, long time. And I have a PhD. My, I majored in history, minored in philosophy. I even took classes in logical analysis. And so when my boys were little, they would do something and I would sit them down and I would give them what clearly was an airtight, virtually infallible logical argument. And for some reason, they just didn't get it. But when I got back here, you see their brain is in their buns. That's where their brain is when they're little. And I got back here, and it was amazing. They suddenly became quite intelligent. And so, yes, always under control and in moderation, yes, I think spanking can be very effective and helpful when they're young. But now listen to me. In the world of the Bible... You became an adult at the age of 12. 
follow-up question. You think dad was taking the rod to his children when they were 13, 15, 17 years old? I seriously doubt it. Seriously doubt it. You say, all right, you have these four sons. I do. Jonathan's here today, member of your church. You spanked them when they were little. I did. Not a lot, but I did. Well, when's the last time you spanked them? Well, we've talked about it. None of the four of them, nor do I or their mom, have any memory of them getting a spanking after they were 10, 10 years old. Now, I continue to discipline them because I loved them while they were under my watch care. But I just believe that as teenagers, they really were on their way to being young men. And therefore, I was going to treat my sons like the young men that I believe they were. But if you love them, you are going to discipline them. I just believe we adjust the way we do it along their course of life, all right? Number four, you love your kids well by the way you look at them. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 12, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. And you realize this morning that outside of your mouth, one of the most effective devices you have for communicating to your children is your eyes. Because your eyes can say to your kids, I love you, I am so proud of you, I am so grateful God gave you to me. And your eyes can also express disappointment as well. So recognize the value of the way you look at them as a means of loving them. Number five, you love your kids well by touching them. By touching them, Ecclesiastes 3.5 tells us there's a time to embrace. Now let me be very gender specific here, daddies. If God has blessed you with precious daughters in a good, healthy way, hold them and hug them and kiss them. You say, why? Because God designed a little girl with a need for male affirmation. And God's plan was that she would get it first and foremost from her daddy. So hold them and hug them and love on them in a good, healthy, and affectionate way. Let me give you mamas of sons a word of encouragement. I discovered a few years ago that a teenage boy, a teenage boy now, will let his mama kiss him in the morning when she takes him to school if she will just do it in the floorboard of the car. <laughs> That's right. As long as nobody can see, he'll let you do it because a teenage boy needs that roughhouse affection from his daddy, but he still needs that loving, tender touch of his mama. But here's the deal. God designed our kids, both boys and girls, little ones and grown ones, to be physically affirmed by our touch. Number six, you love your kids well by spending time with them. This is the ouch one of my list. You say, why? Well, I've been watching this now for about 30 years. I've seen survey after survey after survey, and nothing has changed for the most part. You say, in what way? On average, on average, five-year-olds spend about 25 to 35 minutes a week in quality time with their dads. 25 to 35 minutes a week in quality time with their dads. But they spend 20 to 25 hours a week with a television set or what we now refer to as technological babysitters. Think iPad, think smartphone, think whatever else, whatever gadgets you want to bring to the table, they spend somewhere between 20 and 25 hours a week with those things. That may explain this. 
Reader's Digest some years ago took a survey and they asked four and five-year-olds this question. If you had to vote to give away either your daddy or your TV set, which would you vote to give away? And 33%, one in three said, I'd rather give away my daddy than I would my TV. One man in his older years sat down and wrote a letter to his parents, sent it to a newspaper, and they published it. And here's an excerpt of what this man wrote to his parents that appeared in a local newspaper. You didn't take care of me, you sent me to daycare. You didn't feed me, you sent me to McDonald's. You didn't study with me, you bought me a computer. You didn't talk to me, you bought me a stereo. You didn't look at me, you bought me a TV, and you did not play with me, you bought me toys. Now that I'm grown and you are old, why should I come and see you? I don't even know who you are. And yes, love is a beautiful four-letter word, but sometimes I think we spell it best this way, T-I-M-E, and we love them by spending time with them. Number seven, we love them by listening to them. By listening to them, James 1.19 says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, which means what, parents? Turn off the TV. Put away the smartphone. Sit down with your kids, eye to eye, ear to ear, heart to heart, and by locking in in that kind of a way, you say to your children, I think what you think is important, and I'm here not to talk. I am here just to listen, and we love them well by listening to them. Number eight, we love them well by blessing them rather than cursing them. You say, Danny, what do you have in mind with that statement? Your words, your words. Have you ever stopped to think what it's like to be a child? Here's some of the things they hear coming out of the mouth of mom and dad. I've been building a list over the years. Here's how it stands as of this morning. Just see if you recognize any of these. Put that down. Stop that right now. Shut up. I don't care what you're doing. Come here right now. Listen to me. Give me that. Don't touch that. Go away. Leave me alone. Can't you see I'm busy? Not like that, stupid. Boy, that was really dumb. Can't you do anything right? Well, you'd lose your head if it wasn't screwed on. Hurry up. We don't have all day. What's the matter with you? Can't you hear anything? I don't know what I'm going to do with you. And folks, we would never talk to a stranger like that, and yet we talk to our children like that. And parents, hear me and hear me well. Don't you ever, ever underestimate the power of your words to shape your child's own sense of self-worth, self-value, and what they're going to become in the future. I was speaking one time at a church in Laurel, Mississippi, and after the service, a 65-year-old man came up to me, and he said, Brother Danny, can I share my testimony with you? And I said, well, sure you can. He said, I got saved five years ago at the age of 60, been the five most wonderful years of my life. He said, Brother Danny, I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. He said, I also went through a number of failed marriages, and I, I want to tell you, they were my fault. I, I hurt some nice ladies. He said, uh, Brother Danny, I'm going to stop right there, but I think you get the picture that until recently, uh, my life was a train wreck. And he said, you know, I don't blame anybody. I, I really don't. I made the bad choices and I made the dumb decisions. 
But then that wrinkled face, tears started coming down, and he said, but you know, uh, Brother Danny, when I think back to when I was a little boy, all I can really remember my daddy saying to me were things like this, boy, you can't do anything right. Boy, you're just downright dumb. Boy, you'll never grow up to amount to anything. He said, isn't it crazy? I grew up to be exactly what my daddy said I would be. But then a, a little smile came across his face. and He said, but Brother Danny, five years ago when I met Jesus, I got a new daddy. And my new daddy loves me and my, my new daddy believes in me. And he, and he said it just like this. I've never heard anybody else say it like this. He said, my new daddy thinks I can do things. He said, you know, Brother Danny, it really does matter what you think your daddy thinks about you. Let's bless them and not curse them. Very quickly, number nine, you love your kids well by just having fun with them. If Trent had come to me this morning and said, uh, Danny, something's happened and we got to cut your sermon to five minutes, so give it your best shot in five minutes, I've been okay because I would say this. You want to be a good parent? Just do two simple things. Number one, teach your children to love Jesus and that he is the most wonderful thing in all the world. And number two, just have fun with them. And that's the whole thing of being a parent. Teach them to love Jesus. Have fun with them. And the odds are, number one, they'll grow up and be okay. And number two, when they get grown, they'll bring the grandkids back to see you. And that's a pretty good deal, all right? So teach them to love Jesus and make your house a grand central station where their friends are in and out all the time because that is your children's way of saying to their peers, my mom and dad are pretty cool. And I'm not afraid to bring you over to my house. I'm not afraid of what daddy's going to say. I'm not afraid of what mama's going to do. They won't blow a gasket if we break something or do something, you know. They're not going to do that. Because our house is meant to be a home, a family place where people live. And just make it a fun place to be. Number 10, you love your kids well by nudging them out of the nest and giving them their wings. Nudging them out of the nest and giving them their wings. This is the one I actually do have figured out because it's pretty simple. For 20 years, give or take, you pour your life into your children so that when you're not around anymore and it's just them and Jesus, they'll be okay. There's the whole goal of parenting right there. You pour your life into them so that when you're not around anymore and it's just them and the Lord, they'll be okay. So what does that mean, parents? You can't be a helicopter parent and do your children well. You can't. You've got to give your kids a chance to bust their nose, skin their elbows and knees. You've got to give your kids at the right time in the right way opportunities to make decisions so that when you're not around anymore, they will be good, godly, wise decision makers because you have gotten them ready to go out on their own and soar for the glory of God. Number 11. You love your kids well by admitting when you're wrong and asking for forgiveness. By admitting when you're wrong and asking for forgiveness. You know, in a room this size today, I know there's some broken relationships that are represented here. And there are seven wonderful words in English that when put together could go a long ways today in helping bring those relationships back together, at least move them in the right direction. You say, Danny, what are those seven words? I 
am sorry. Will you forgive me? Or if you like, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Now, you notice the word but's not in there. I am sorry, but I was wrong, but. Well, just stop because you're going to negate your apology by adding that word in. No, just admit you blew it and ask for forgiveness. Now, every now and then, I'll come across some men that have this false image of what it means to be a, a real man, and I'll have men say, well, if I ever admit to my kids that I make a mistake, they'll think less of me. No, your kids think less of you because you don't. They know you mess up. They know you're a sinner. They know that dads do stupid things. And I know this, when I would tell my sons as they were growing up, when I messed up, hey, dad was wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? I was wrong. Will you forgive me? They didn't think less of me. They thought more of me. Finally, you love your kids well by introducing them to a perfect parent. Now you say, Danny, I couldn't be a perfect parent. I know that, neither can I. But guess what? I don't have any of us in mind. Now, all of us in this room, we can be good parents. We, we can be great parents. But God made every one of us with what the ancient theologians called a God-shaped vacuum. I call it a hole in the soul that can only be filled by a relationship with a perfect parent, a perfect heavenly father. See, I want to close by telling you the rest of the story about my wife and why it is that she is the lady that she is today. Yes, she grew up in hell on earth. How come my mama doesn't seem to love me? How come my daddy won't come and see me? Heartbroken, confused, world shattered. But when she was 10 years old on a Sunday morning just like this, at the First Baptist Church in Fairburn, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta, at the end of the service, the pastor extended an invitation for people to repent of their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus and to receive him as their personal Lord and Savior. And on that morning, she did. But not only did she get Jesus as her personal Lord and Savior, she got a new daddy, a perfect heavenly father. And my wife's here today, and after the service, if you wanted to, you could go up to her and say, Charlotte, so Danny said in his message that when you got saved, knowing that you die and go to heaven wasn't the most wonderful thing. And she would say, well, it wasn't for me. And he said that knowing all your sins are forgiven wasn't the most wonderful thing. And again, she would say, well, that's wonderful too, but it wasn't the most wonderful for me. So what was it again? She would say, when I got saved, I got a new daddy. And my new daddy made a promise to me that he has kept all these years. And it's the same promise he makes to every single one of us when we invite him into our lives, it's found in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. You'll know it. I will never, what? Leave you. And I will never forsake you. And folks, that's a pretty good promise to a little orphan girl. It's actually a pretty good promise for every single one of us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for that promise that you will receive anyone that comes to you through Jesus and that you make a promise that you will keep forever and ever and ever as a perfect heavenly father. You will never, ever leave us, and you will never, ever forsake us. And so, Father, if there's even one man or woman, boy or girl, teenager here today that needs Jesus as their Savior and God as their perfect heavenly father, may they this day 
ask him to come in, I can promise them he will. And we ask and pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.